Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the Marketing Minds at DoConvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today is Julie Jarnigan. <laughs> Episode 169, and we're with Sarah Simmerman. Hi. <laughs> Sarah was uh, graciously accepting an and join us in the studio today because Jackie Lipinski had a last minute doctor's appointment with the with a kiddo. And she's going through what a lot of people are going through right now. It seems like where between daycare sickness, sicknesses at daycare, sicknesses at home, everyone's getting everything except for coronavirus. So I guess overall, <laughs> they'll take it. But are we not washing our hands again? Is that what happened? Maybe that's, yeah. <laughs> you know, my, my son, who is six, seven now tries to convince me every time we go in the restroom. He's like, I didn't touch anything except for myself. I'm like, I don't care. You still have to wash your hands. He even tries to use his hands inside of his jacket to like open the door on the way out or in and like, no, you have to wash your hands, man. Come on. When does that stop? I don't know. It, I don't know that it does. I don't think it does. <laughs> oh man. All right. Let's hop right into story time. And Julie, go ahead and start us off. Okay. Is this my first time I've done a jujitsu story for my story it's about time? time? It's about time. Well, okay. So I do jujitsu and the um, coach was talking about the concept of sooner, not faster when you're sparring with somebody. So what he meant by this is that if you're, if you're sooner, if you're acting sooner with your opponent, then you're, you're in control. You're kind of setting the pace, taking the lead of what you're doing. If you're just trying to go faster, you're maybe flailing around, you're reacting, trying to catch up to what they're doing. So it's not about going faster, it's about going sooner. So I was thinking about how this relates to, to business or building. Um, particularly, I've been thinking a lot about content. So, you know, one example we've used before is like when everything shut down and we had people who had terrible websites and no virtual tours. And then the world shut down and they were trying to go faster. Well, that's a hard time to try to go faster. Whereas if you're going sooner with your content, trying to think ahead, trying to be strategic about what could happen next and setting yourself up for those things. To me, that's the sooner, not faster concept. And two, it just seems like when there's, um, when there's something that happens in the market, that's almost too late. You can't anticipate everything, but you can set yourself up for success by getting these things prepared now and having lots of content to pull from, then try to play catch up later and going faster. That makes sense. I always liked mental riddles and puzzles. I think too, this reminds me of how fast should my website load and everyone obsessing for a while about it's got to be you know two and a half seconds or under three seconds. And it was Andrew Garberson, who at the time was with a company called Lunametrics, who really said, well, it's about loading faster than all of your competitors' sites in terms of a search ranking impact. Google's not going to say, well, you are loading fast enough because you hit some benchmark. They're comparing you against all of the other people in your industry. And it's about being just faster than they are. And the other thing about this, that I don't know if this was his intention or not, but fast isn't a good definition because you can also go too fast. So, you know, do you punch in jujitsu or do you just do no. 
No. Okay. No, no punching. <laughs> so if there was another thing where you, where you were punching, if, if you, if you punch before the opponent's body is where you're striking, then going faster, it's like, you just want to be one step ahead, anticipatory, but you also don't want to just go fast to go fast because you can go too fast or you can start using the technology before it's ready or, yeah. um, you know, Try, trying to do buy online and make everyone go through that single process would be a good example of going f faster incorrectly versus just being sooner. Yeah. And I think, I mean, in jujitsu, it's a lot of like, um, if you do one thing, your opponent's going to react this way. So that's going to open this up, or, you know, it's a bunch of kind of thinking ahead about how these things are, are going to happen. And in the same way, I think it's just about being more strategic about thinking through those things to prepare, even though you don't know exactly what's going to happen, you can anticipate things and be working ahead instead of playing catch up and being reactionary. Yep. I love it. I can't let it go. Sorry, Sarah, we're going to get to your story <laughs> in just a second. But that's what people, everyone's obsessing about when it comes to selling a home online or you pick, you pick the topic du jour. It's wanting, not wanting to be left behind in the dust. And there's very few things where you can't wait for it to become the right time and then be a quick follower. So there's some things that are, but that list of things that's important to be a, a pioneer on are very small, unless you have a lot of extra time and resources to tackle it. Everything else probably should be a fast follow scenario. Again, unless yeah. I think we talked about this at the summit, unless you're someone like Keystone where every time they build their own custom application, it just works. And that's part of their company's DNA other people shouldn't try to be Keystone. They should be a fast follower of what Keystone is doing. And They're, you yeah. need that groundwork to be a fast follower. Right. You know yep. what I mean? You have to have, you can't have done nothing. So like you're talking with the buy online and you're talking about how difficult the backend things are. Well, those are the things you need to think through, not to go ahead and throw buy online out there, but to think through all those things. So the groundwork is laid once the industry gets to that point. It'd be like saying, we don't have to take all the pictures and, and write the descriptions now. We'll wait until we need all that content to make buy online work. Uh, no. Okay. All right, Sarah. Okay. What do you got for us? <laughs> so I've been involved in many conversations recently around CRM systems. And one of the biggest challenges that I hear from everybody is just launching, launching a CRM and getting your team to actually use the CRM. And that's always been kind of one of the biggest frustrations. So I wanted to, I've been working on a blog post around how to successfully launch your CRM system. This is like a so, sneak preview. It's not out yet. It, it is. Yeah. So, I mean, a successful launch, in my opinion, would be your sales team understands the expectations uh, that you have of them. Your sales team actually uses the system and meets those expectations. And in a perfect world, the team would even be excited as excited as you are right. to jump on the CRM. I, I agree with that. Are we, we going to go through the, you want to go through a couple of these other points too? Yeah. I mean, I, th I think the, the first step that I think it's mi is missed a lot is getting input from your sales team early on in the process. Um, it's too often and too easy to just kind of build it how you think it will work best and then just dump it on them at the very end. Yeah. Um, but I've, found a lot of success just asking simple questions like, what do you like about our current CRM system? So you make sure you don't drop that feature from your new one. And what do you absolutely hate about it? What frustrations are you having? 
And you can use those to guide the changes that you're going to make in the system. And then also note those. So when you launch it to the team, those are the points that you need to play up Mm-hmm. and really build excitement around like i know these were your frustrations i know these were your problems they're fixed hooray to build that excitement around them yeah so i i mean i go into more detail about how like the launch meeting like having a hype meeting and then going into individual or small group training sessions I, it's just a process that i used um, that worked really well for me and the hardest part is just making sure to keep the team accountable yeah and moving forward I'm going to say a couple of my favorite jokes that I've used over the years. And that is that 80% adoption by your sales team is hundred percent adoption. So that's part of it is like setting the goalpost for success where it is achievable. I don't know of any organization where anyone would say honestly to me that hundred percent of their sales team is using the system perfectly hundred percent of the time. That's not what we're aiming for. What we're aiming for is the vast majority of the team using it. And then just let those people weed themselves out who aren't going to find the new people set the standard from the beginning. The other is definitely, I agree with everything in your outline here. The one thing I would add too is getting the training for management. Who's going to be the ones holding those accountable. So that's your final point there is hold the teams accountable. And if you can get the managers to go through the exact same training program that the sales team is going to use first, 30 days ahead of time. That's the ideal scenario because then they know how to hold the team accountable. They're not just, you know, saying, well, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll ask them if they're doing it. They actually know what they're doing ahead of time and they have to pass the same testing and, and all the same homework too. Mm -hmm. And having the reports that make it easier to hold people accountable, whether it's response rates or just simply logging in and checking the tasks and yeah, having everybody know how to use the CRM system is huge. Awesome. We're looking forward to seeing that post uh, coming soon about launching a new CRM system. And just out of curiosity, Sarah, a lot of the CRM conversations that you're having, are they people who are transitioning from one CRM system to another? They've never been involved in using CRM system before? Um, It is um, transitioning to a new CRM system or just making improvements to their existing system. And you can use a modification of this checklist for just improving your current system as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always surprised still when someone says that they need a new CRM system. It doesn't happen as often anymore, (laughs) but that's, it's fun and terrifying when someone's never gone through that process. Mm -hmm. The opportunities are big in front of them. All right. Awesome. I've got, um, I'm going to start with my fun one first in honor of Andrew Peake, who's not with us today. Uh, So this is a fun one. There's a a company that makes fancy soaps called, I think it's Sasquatch. Sasquatch soap? Mm, Squatch? Yeah. Dr. Squatch. Okay. Just found it online. (laughs) So I don't have the packaging in front of me. I couldn't remember the the company, but Dr. Squatch sells um, fancy soaps and a bar of soap would cost you the retail price for an individual bar is $7 plus shipping. Apparently you can become a member and then the bars become five to $6. But then they also have this star Wars collection of soap that is $32. And I just love this as an example of how packaging is important when we talk about marketing, because not just the physical packaging, I mean, a a type of soap that ends up being called, what's the name of this? uh, Only hope soap. I mean, that's pretty funny if you're a Star Wars fan, um, but 
it's it's fun packaging. It's it's got a nice commemorative box, but you're getting four different pieces of soap in the same box, so it's thirty two dollars. So the, there's multiple levels of genius to this. One is the average home in the U.S. has two to two and a half bathrooms. And this isn't really the kind of soap that you put in a half bath, I don't think. Anyway, it's like shower soap. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the average person I would imagine is probably only ordering one to two bars at a time if they're ordering them for themselves. So this is a way to uh, lower their cost because of shipping. It's probably one of the biggest costs they have. If I can get you to buy four bars of soap at once, that's a win. The second win is it's a commemorative gift set. So I'd never heard of Dr. Squatch before. And a friend of mine saw it online, sent it to me because he thought I'd enjoy it or my kids would enjoy it. And now they've exposed me to Dr. Squatch. So it's, it's for a different target audience as well. If the current target or current customers aren't Star Wars fans. And then what are you going to do with four bars of soap at once? Um, you might even end up splitting that out and giving it to other people, sharing it among friends and family. So I just thought, so, so one, we're getting them to buy uh, the total checkout cost versus $14 plus shipping plus $32 plus 14, like higher revenue, lower cost because of shipping four bars at once. I just thought, you know, and all they had to do is probably, they're probably paying a 15% licensing deal or 10% licensing deal to Lucasfilm for the privilege of making this fancy box. And I promise you all the soap is just a repackaging of their other soap. Like the, um, the only hope soap is fresh falls soap and the um ruthless rinse with whatever that guy's name is on there is just a repackaging of soap they already have so it's just the soap's already cut in a square they throw in a different package make more money lower their costs and and let their current customers market to their new customers i just thought it was good and didn't somebody say that they had seen this on Instagram before? So I'm sure it's much more clickable to click on a Star Wars box set than right. to click on a random pine tar, whatever yeah, it, um, else it would be. So it's mm -hmm. just um, bringing in people that way. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's it's a better worm on the hook to get someone to to want to make that initial click. Similar to how an amazing price point with an amazing photo and in real estate is also like, you can't not click it. I mean, you know, it's not true. You, when it says homes from the two hundreds and you see this 5,000 square foot luxury home, you're like, I know that's not it, but I still need to click this and see what's happening. Right. Yeah. That's a great point too. I love that. Um, the other stories that I have are budgeting season is upon us. Um, one of our builders fiscal year ends in October. So they, they hit me up earlier than anyone else, but it was a good reminder that it's coming down the line for everyone else as well. And I thought it'd be fun uh, just to see if you actually pay attention to story time or not is obviously if you're one of our uh, builder partners, we're going to help you through the budgeting process regardless. But if you're one of the first 10 builders who sends an email to show at doyouconvert.com that we do not work with, I will help you through the budgeting process just as if you were a builder partner. Um, so I'm not going to uh, easy turnkey service. You just send me some data points that I need. I will tell you my recommended budget. And it's going to be especially tricky this coming year because 2021 budgets on the whole, ones that I peaked at for folks, like the actual spend versus budgeted is 40% of budgeted spend, 60% of budgeted spend. And 
if you aren't good at justifying and telling stories with data, your CFO and financial people in your company are going to push back and be like, do you really need, like you, you told me you needed that money last time and you didn't. I don't think you need it. I'm not, I don't, I don't think you should get this budget that you're asking for. So you definitely want to be prepared and ready. So email over at show at do you convert.com S H O W at do you convert.com. If you're one of the first 10 builders um, that we don't work with, I'll help you um, plan for budgeting season in 2022. And, and my, Kevin admitted yeah. today in our meeting that he, he, he enjoys this. Oh, it's, <laughs> he likes digging into the budget. Yeah. That's don't, don't feel sorry for me. Like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm going to have more, give him more work to do. This is my favorite thing to do. I think it's, it's something about the imagination that's involved in. So it's highly um, mathematical and formula driven and data driven. And yet at the same time, it's kind of like, I imagine as a writer, uh, Julie, um, or Sarah, I know you, your family likes to do um, puzzles, right? Or was doing puzzles a lot um, during the mm -hmm. pandemic. You know, you, you buy the puzzle at the store and you're thinking, oh, it's going to be so cool when I'm done with this. Or you come up with a title for your book and there's this little sense of like, you just accomplished way more than you did because you got the title. Or sure. I know yeah. um, Will Duterstead and Andy, who are part of my breakfast club here in Columbus, we all buy domain names because it's so fun <laughs> to buy a domain name and think that could be a cool company or a cool business. And it's only $12. There's something about setting a budget where for me anyway, I can, it, I get some of that same high of, I just set a course for the next 12 months of what's going to happen. And it's just, yeah, I love it. It's thrilling. So if, if budgeting scares you, we need to talk. I can. What, I can. What's your hobby? Budgeting <laughs> for other yes, people. Yes. Uh, I've started that Twitter post a couple of times, actually. My job is marketing. My hobby is content marketing. My, <laughs> um, my relaxation is, is budget planning prep for marketing. It's like everything is, Everything's in there. And then my last one was um, someone sent a question, which was a great question. And I imagine they felt a little bit nervous about asking it, but it's a, it's a really good one and probably something we need to do more content around. And they said, Hey, can you just tell me again why direct traffic and, and, S and organic traffic are not the same in your mind? And I thought that was just a really, again, just a really good question to make sure we understand. In analytics, if you see the word direct, that means that either um, someone directly entered in the URL string that you see in analytics, which is understandable if it's your homepage. So if it's just the name of your company.com, it's very conceivable that if people see marketing and advertising related to your company, that they are just typing that in and going directly there. So they've, they've been nowhere else previously. They're just opening up a window, typing in the domain name. That's, that's, that's one possibility. The other possibility is that there came from somewhere else and analytics cannot tell where it came from. That only happens in a couple instances. If you're coming from a secure environment to an unsecure environment, HTTP or HTTPS, from one to the other, Google can't, can't make an educated guess about where you came from because all of the previous history essentially gets erased when you switch environments. Or sometimes when you come from an app to uh, a browser. Those are really the, the main use cases of where someone could, could, could be coming from somewhere else and we just can't see it. And there's ways to troubleshoot that in analytics, similar to how we would clean up the referral or other buckets there for those playing along at home. The other one is that they're simply a return visitor. And the way to tell that is if you have, um, 
you know, oakleybuilders.com slash happy acres slash Stanford. So they're looking at the Stanford floor plan and the community of happy acres. No one's just typing all that in and hitting enter. So that means they're either coming from somewhere else and Google can't tell. And one way to check that is, am I currently running a lot of ads for that? Is there something that, that might be going through one of those scenarios I outlined before? But if not, it's just that they started typing out something and their browser auto-completed and said, oh, you've been here before. You want to go back? Here it is. And they're hitting enter. And now they're directly returning to your website. So when you look at all those things in their totality, what you have to understand is that a lot of direct traffic is return traffic or traffic that should be given credit to something else that isn't. But what direct traffic is not is just organic. The, the, the organic. And I think, I think the confusion comes from when we say organic, maybe, we sh maybe the whole world should just rename that to search engine driven, search yeah. engine driven. Whereas people think, well, they came to me directly, so they must've come organically. Like they typed it in on their own. Yeah. But how, um, what was the prompt? What else have they seen to know to type that in? Or again, if it's a very long URL, it's probably just auto completing. So I just thought it was worth. Yeah. So it's not necessarily your billboard. You still have all that direct. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I think uh, the reason that this came about is on one of the previous episodes, we were talking about the correlation between social ads and direct in particular, because if you've opened that up on your browser before going from app to a browser, it may or may not get it. Uh, you definitely want to make sure you have the right UTM coding in there, source medium. But then when I come back again later, and I just type in even the main domain, I'm aware of the main domain because I've previously been there or I saw the ad. And that, to, to really go deep here, and then we'll move on to news, that was the big shift when the privacy hit happened. Facebook and Instagram ads used to report on one-day view windows and seven-day click windows, meaning even, even the social comp the companies like Facebook understood the impact of seeing it in your feed and not even clicking. So they would, they knew because you were logged into your device. Oh, Kevin Oakley's browsing through and he saw that ad for happy acres for three seconds in total. And then with, if in the next 24 hours, I went on to the happy acres website, Facebook in their internal reporting would say that that visit gets credit if it's within a 24 hour window. And if I click on the ad and come back again within a one week window, seven days, then I also could become more credit for that ad. And that's just how you know, humans and consumers work. So it's legitimate. They just had to remove the 24-hour the view window because they can't track that anymore with Apple's updates and privacy. So that's why a lot of numbers went down is they removed that from their reporting. And it was still happening. And that we talked about that in a news story a couple weeks ago that Facebook actually was under-reporting true results now <laughs> versus typically over-reporting clicks. They were under-reporting results because they just couldn't see the data. All right, heading on to the news. First up, we've got merch, new merch. Go to merch.doyouconvert.com. It is exciting. Andrew and Bryce, I believe, took the lead. Carla Tootin um, donated some of her fantastic design skills to help out on getting some of these across the finish line. Um, and some of we've all already had much love for metrics and chill, 
uh, something that Andrew came up with as a, as a t-shirt design a couple of years ago. But I think the new winner is Naughty by Nurture, for <laughs> online salespeople. <laughs> At least that's my favorite. I don't know if you guys have a different favorite, but. Yeah, that yeah. one's great. That one's good. There are a lot of new sales ones in here. We had some marketing ones, but now now the online sales are getting involved. Yes. And <laughs> it, what was great is I this is just obviously a complete miss because 98% of all the online salespeople we work with are female. But we we got your back, uh, gentlemen. There are male versions of these shirts coming as well. <laughs> Currently, I think most of the online sales are are female cut uh, shirts. So... Uh, merch.dcomfort.com again all the proceeds from that um, go to charity as well so lots of good stuff to go check out there all right first up and i love this one because i think jackie picked this article it's from vice.com mm-hmm. tech unicorn picasso why are they called a unicorn because they have over a billion dollar valuation that's what qualifies unicorn status in startup land. Tech unicorn Picasso is turning homes into LLCs and pissing off the neighbors. Now, I love the fact that she chose this because she's not here to defend herself. So that's fun. And two, I disagree with almost every part of the article. So that's fun because I I love whenever I get to disagree. (laughs) And especially when she's not here. So essentially, either one of you want to do a quick summary of kind of why everyone's so pissed? Sure. So a corporation is going in and buying these luxury Malibu, these highly wanted real estate, these homes for overvalue. So they're overpaying for them. And then what they're doing is they're splitting them up and they're selling them to like eight individuals to use to share as second homes. So the neighbors are throwing a fit saying, don't come in here. We don't want this big corporation being my neighbor. We want one, one neighbor, one family. Here's all the reasons why you shouldn't be doing this, which I think the reasons they're giving are not their real reasons. I don't know if that's maybe your point too. A hundred percent. Yeah. The reasons they're giving on why it's wrong are very noble, but really I think the real reason they don't want them in there is they don't want it to mess up their neighborhood and how they're living. So it's essentially, it's kind of like a timeshare. But it's one house shared by eight people and the corporation manages it. Yeah. And I think we have to talk a little bit about the difference between Picasso and Airbnb. Because Airbnb, there's a lot of communities around the country who have created rules and regulations about places you can and can't have that service for a home that you own. And that has a lot to do about safety and transitory concerns and those homes being used for criminal activity and and other things that are are undesirable because no one's renting an Airbnb or almost no one's renting an Airbnb for a month at a time. Um, so part of that kind of narrative is very similar to what they're trying to apply to Picasso here. But I, I agree with you. I don't think it's, it's genuine. First of all, um, I, there's an interview where Allison, um, Austin Allison, the co-founder with um, Spencer Raskoff, former Zillow um, CEO started the company together. So the average purchase price of the homes that they own are $4 million. So one of the narratives is Picasso is going to destroy the ability for first time owners to buy these homes. Well, <laughs> I mean, $4 million <laughs> as an average purchase price, probably not taking that away from a first time buyer. Right. I mean, I mean, anyone want to disagree yeah, with that no, one? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> 
And then the other thing he, he I, I heard an interview recently, and we'll link to that in the show notes too, with um, Jason Calacanis of a show called This Week in Startups, where he talks about the fact that um, he bought a second home in um, Lake Tahoe, which I'm not a billionaire, but I think that's somewhere in, in Northern California near San Francisco and Sonoma, um, a little bit east. And he said it was great, but the, the most second homes he learned through that experience, the most second homes are only used about 15 to 20% of the year. And the rest of the time, they're dormant. And if you're a second homeowner and you do view it as a home and a place that you're going to stay for more than a couple of days at a time, I always wondered this when I go to the beach or rent a house. It's like, man, these people have pictures of their own family somewhere or they've got like their own little speed dial to their favorite fast food places. And you just like, but there's 30 other families who live in here. That has to be weird as a, as viewing it as a second home. But in this case, it's split up typically between seven, six to eight other families. So it's not just anyone. It's someone else who's invested. In, and so $400 million home, each, each family or buyer would be spending $600,000. And, but they would be viewing it and using it more as a, a true second home scenario. So I'm not really sure what they're fighting against. I mean, the skeptical, really skeptical people would think that if you're in Sonoma, your main concern is that you don't want the riffraff who can only afford $600,000 for a second home uh, to buy across the street from you. Um, but honestly, that, that person, if they didn't buy a Picasso home, is probably buying a $600,000 home further out from uh, this this desired location and, and maybe potentially tr taking that away from, uh, you know, a, a doctor or a lawyer who would be potentially buying that as a first home. So I, yeah. much ado about nothing, really. I, I can't see where they're coming from. I just wanted to, I don't know if you guys feel like we're <laughs> missing something. There was a quote here. in there from somebody who said, um, it was, um, people who want to pretend to be wealthy. So like these wealthy mm. people are having neighbors who are they're seeing as people who want to pretend that they're wealthy and have these big houses, which I just, that made me laugh. I was like, okay. And um, they're trying to complain about, you know, that they're not kept as well, but the complaints were like, you know, a trash can wasn't emptied or there was a, there was a ladder in the driveway. They were pretty tame, like, yeah, and, but they're actually threatened. <laughs> they're threatening to burn homes down to commit acts of violence against people. Like it's, it's gotten, it's gotten crazy all because of yeah. fractional ownership, which, which has been around forever. Fractional ownership has been around, although just typically it's, it's friends and family going in together kind of ad hoc. And so then, yeah, who's maintaining the home? Picasso charges fees to keep the home maintained and, and up to, up to standards. Um, they have strict interior standards and what can and can't be changed in the home. Uh, so you would think that this would be a better way to do it than three friends just deciding to, to go in on a home and, oh, I forgot to, you know, have the mower come this month or you know, who knows? It's just, it's not the same thing as Airbnb at the end of the day, I think is the main, main takeaway there. Yep. So sorry, Jackie, I'm pretty sure that's not the discussion <laughs> you thought we might have, mm -hmm. but there it is. Um, although actually I think she would agree, but anyway, searchengineland.com, Facebook changes business ad options in reaction to iOS updates. While some small businesses may be suffering from the iOS change, these moves may be useful to help expand their social advertising. So now they're going to have 
uh, more options. Are these good options is the question. Um, so like click to message, more options there, start a WhatsApp chat from Instagram profile, some more cross, uh, cross platform communication options, get a quote request on messenger, lead gen ads on Instagram. I don't, does, is any of this I was trying to think about like what industry might this be really good news in. Um, I still don't know. <laughs> I didn't come up with a good answer. You know, who wants to do when you're running an ad or, or interacting with people on Facebook, really you want to pull them off of Facebook onto mm -hmm. your site. So I don't, I don't know any industry or company that wants to keep them in that. I don't that's how I felt about it. Maybe there is somebody, but it's not great for us. I think honestly, this just is bad news for the consumer too, because I remember a time, this is going to date me, Angie, which used to be Angie's List. We were Angie's List members. And the main benefit of that, you know, back in 2008 was you would submit information to two or three companies and they would all call you back and give you good service because you were an Angie's List member and they didn't want to have bad ratings on Angie's List. Well, the last time I tried to do anything on any of these platforms, like no one gets back to you except for automated crappy text messages and, and emails that are clearly not paying attention to what you asked. And so most of this stuff to me feels like it's designed to say, hey, your ad reporting is not so great. So let's distract you by showing you all of these people asking you for information. So that's real, right? Like people clicking on the ad, don't do anything. Business owners who don't understand digital marketing might say, what am I getting out of that? Whereas if you got 100 requests for a quote sent to Facebook Messenger, like, oh, now these, this is, I see what I'm paying for here, but you're not going to get back to all of them. Like I, I just, I think, I think that's the strategy. Yeah. And I think you're going to run into a quality problem like you do with the lead generation campaigns on Facebook as well. It's yep. just, it's going to be too many and not qualified enough. Um, that would be my concern. Yeah. Now, if they start building in some, some smarter e-commerce like things to the quote request manager, where some, like if it's a window cleaning company, they, they let you just, ought, they do the maths. So their current lead gen forms don't do any math. It's like, you can ask questions about anything you want and get the answers dropped into your CRM. But if they were to allow them to do simple math, like on the back end, I could say it's $20 a window to clean it. So when they enter in the number of windows, I can create an instant quote. And then if they're happy with that price, then it pushes it through to a live person. There could be some of those things, but they don't really mention any of that in, in, uh, in the articles. So. And I don't even know. Um, I don't know. They try to connect this back to this is how we're responding to these problems. I don't know. <laughs> this stuff was in the work. I feel like they're just throwing this out here and attaching the two things to make it sound like they're doing something proactive to help. I don't know that they necessarily are as connected as Facebook wants us to think they are. I, I agree with you. And they are. There was a, an article that came out where they basically admitted yeah, it is having an effect on our business. They didn't, again, it's not the results. They're pretty confident as, as well as I, that the results are still what the results are, but their ability to track those results in a way that again, agencies reporting back to the people that they're buying and running ads for are like, well, I'm getting less than I used to. And, and you're not, it's just the way it's reported. So again, that's where they've got to really 
shuffle the deck and try to find ways to say, oh, no, no, we're, we're worth it because we're not just getting you clicks anymore. We're getting you engagements and leads. But I completely agree with you, Sarah. The quality there is questionable at best. Next up from marketwatch.com, TikTok has reached 1 billion monthly active users across the globe, it announced Monday. And um, I don't think I have a yawn sound effect, but <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so what's interesting, I guess, in comparison is it did take YouTube eight years, Facebook eight years, Instagram eight years to reach this number of users, and TikTok did it in three. But without the pandemic, I feel like TikTok was on its way to being irrelevant. I mean, among the the large demographic, you would need to get to a billion users. So I think that might have something to do with it. I think the other thing is um, that you could also argue that as consumers have, it would be easier to, to, well, not easier. I was going to say easier to get engagement levels higher now because more people have more advanced phones better data plans they're used to engaging. So if something is, uh, I just don't want to say the word good, but yeah. if something's good, <laughs> like TikTok in air quotes, then um, then maybe it's also easier for things to spread, like Clubhouse did as well for a time. Yeah. And I mean, old news, but just because it's popular doesn't mean it's a good strategy. <laughs> yeah. It's two different things. And I mean, all it's really showing us is I think that people like this short form content. That doesn't mean you have to go be on TikTok. It just means you have to know that people are becoming more and more used to and want this short term, you know, this this kind of content in some way. But um, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. And it's all, it, the main thing there. And we are going to have Dawn on to, to have our little fight club moment of short form versus long form Dawn from Tilson Homes. Uh, Andrew's working on getting her scheduled to come back in. It, it's just where where are they in the funnel when that short term is really important? And is that the right kind of content that, that you want to be prioritizing right now? And how are you leading them through just from that funnel all the way with that short form content? Yep. Finally on the news, uh, online sales leadership roundtable. The website is up. This is the first time we've ever done anything like this. Rumor has it that Mike Lyon has been breaking into the podcast edit afterwards to kind of promote this thing the last couple episodes, but just wanted to take a moment to talk about it in the news segment. It's at online forward slash roundtable, or just go to do slash events to find out all the information. But this is the first ever online sales leadership roundtable. So if you are a single OSC, who doesn't plan or foresee ever managing a team, this is probably not for you. Um, this is for people who are managing teams or for people who are ready to take that next step towards leadership. And it'll be a, a small group effort. And it's Jen and Mike, so it'll be great. <laughs> yeah, and it will be great. And leaders, I mean, the leadership track at the summit has been something that everyone has really found a lot of value in and just wants more of. So this is your opportunity to get involved in that. It's a whole year long commitment and it's the gift that keeps on giving. So with that, I think we are done for this week for published articles, blog posts, videos, and more. Check out doyouconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and everywhere else we are online. We'll see you next week.
Bye, guys. Bye.